listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we're going to continue and conclude our series, Best Year Ever. Uh, The first week of this series, we looked at the biblical new year that God instructed Moses to observe. And it's important to note that he he told them that it was a new year. He was starting a brand new calendar for them. It was unexpected. And he said, this is going to be the first month. And, um, and it was while they were yet still in slavery. They were still in bondage in, in Egypt. And um, it didn't look different. It didn't feel different. But God was up to something because just a couple of weeks in, it did involve a very significant event called the Passover. And it's where God instructed the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites. He instructed them to put the blood of a lamb on their, on their doorposts. And if they obeyed, if they did that, then when the death angel passed over Egypt, which was the 10th and final plague to try and get Pharaoh's attention, um, then their, their firstborns would be spared. And, uh, and, and we know that that would be the catalyst that would bring about the deliverance of the Hebrews. After that, then Pharaoh would, would let God's people go. Now, he chased after them later, but God delivered them there also. The second week, we focused on the one-year anniversary of the Passover, where God wanted the Hebrews to celebrate in the wilderness, but he wanted them to celebrate in remembrance of what he had already done, uh, the the Passover and and how he spared them and and brought them out of Egypt. And for those that could not participate, maybe they were ceremonially unclean, or maybe they were not on site, maybe they were not there uh, to participate in the celebration, uh, God instituted what is called Pesach Sheni, which is uh, the second Passover. It was a second chance at grace and how many of you are glad today that God is a God of second chances? Amen. Listen, I, my life, I am a recipient of second chances. God just continues to pour his grace on my life. And I know that many of you in the room, you feel the same way. Our God is a God of second chances. He's a God of grace. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever went on a, a trip with numerous people, like, like a caravan of cars. I'm not talking about just like, you know, the husband, wife, and the two and a half kids and the dog in the car. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like a serious road trip where there's three or four cars or maybe even a busload of people. If you've ever done anything like that, it's hard traveling with a group of people. It truly is. Not everyone gets hungry at the same time. And that's, that's a problem when you've got a large group of people. Not, every, not everybody gets hungry at the same time. And, and what's even more frustrating is that none of them can agree on where they want to eat. Oh, that can happen in a car of three or four, right? <clears throat> not everybody gets hungry at the same time, and not everybody can agree on, on where to eat. Uh, I, I know that when we used to go to the marriage conference uh, at Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, we would take a busload of married couples from here, and, and some people would, would drive separately. And this is probably the reason why, is because... Not everybody could agree when we should eat and where we should eat. So I just started figuring out that we were going to park the bus in a location where there were three or four different restaurants that they could pick from. And if they couldn't find something to eat there, then they're just hard to please. Some people were hard to please. But it's just hard traveling with with a, a large group of people. And don't even get me started on potty breaks. When everyone's traveling together, it's, I mean, not everybody's bladder operates on the same schedule. No? You know what I'm talking about. And, and what's really frustrating is when there's that one person that you know they have a, a very small bladder, but yet they continually sip on 
water or something, you know, they, they, they don't stop drinking. And you're like, we have stopped five times for you and only you. Would you please put that down? Please stop. I mean, after a while, it becomes very frustrating because it's, it's, it's just tough traveling with people. Mission trips, I know for, for me personally, I've, I've been leading mission trips since 1999, and we as a church, we've been on many mission trips. We haven't done so in the past two years because of COVID, but we, uh, we take mission trips pretty serious, and leading into a mission trip for six weeks, we have a training that we put our mission team members through before we leave, and during that training, we assign each one of them a number, and we actually start during the training like counting off because I know there's going to be situations that we find ourselves in on the mission field in a third world country somewhere or standing in an airport where I need to make sure everybody's there. And when you're traveling with 30 to 40 people, it can be hard to keep track of everybody. And I don't want to go down a list and, and have a roll call. So I'll just have people count off one, two, three, four, five, you know, and, and they all are assigned that number for the entire trip. And we, we train them leading into it. And then, as much as I hate dressing like somebody, I hate it. Like, if I'm wearing the same shirt, I'm probably going to go home and change clothes. Uh, it's, it was frustrating for me last week because I, Pastor Andrew showed up and, and he, was, he was dressed just like me. Except I make mine look good. But other than that, and <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pay for that because he'll have the mic last. And so I know I'm going to pay for that. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, last week, uh, you know, we were wearing the... Same color jeans, same color jacket, all that. And it's, it's just, it's tough for me. But when we travel with mission teams, going through the airports, you'll see 30 or 40 people all wearing the same exact T-shirt. We, we do. Some of you have been on trips with me. And we have one color to travel there. We have another color to travel home. And we're all going to dress alike. And we're going to count off at the appropriate times. Because the last thing I want to do is leave somebody behind. You know, I don't want to leave them at the airport. I don't want to leave them on the side of the road in a third world country somewhere. I want to make sure that they're, they're safe and they're with me. Because traveling with a large group of people, it has challenges. Can you imagine traveling with three million plus people all at once? Three million people all going in the same direction, traveling together. There were over 3 million Hebrews entering the promised land. And what you have to know is that when, when they're wandering in the wilderness, they ended up coming around the, the bottom of the Dead Sea and they come up the side uh, where the, the country of, of Jordan is now and they cross over the Jordan River from east to west into the promised land. So they come around the bottom and they come in from east to west. The book of Joshua tells us, and that, that's going to be our, our book today that we're reading our main text out of, Joshua chapter 5. But the book of Joshua tells us that the Jordan River was at its flood stage. So it's not just a river. It is a flooded river. They're ready to enter the promised land. And, and the river is, is flooded and what God told them to do, he told Joshua, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the priest, and they're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And remember, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. Get the priest, have them carry the Ark of the Covenant. And what happened was, when they touched the river, the flooded river, with their feet, as soon as they touched it with their feet, the waters parted. And just like what happened 40 years earlier at the Red Sea, they walked across on dry ground. 
And what happens is they get to the middle of the river and the priests are, are instructed to stop. They're, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they're instructed to stop. And then all of the Israelites are going to walk around them. As long as they're in the middle of the river, the presence of God there is holding back the waters. And they're going to walk across on dry ground. And then the priests will be the last ones out of the riverbed. Now, when their feet touch the water and the river actually stopped uh, flowing is what happened. And what the Bible tells us is that God held the waters back upriver near a city uh, that's called Adam. It's 16 miles north of Gilgal, where they're crossing to. 16 miles upriver, God dams off the river. He holds the river back. And this is important. Why would God choose such a far distance, such a long distance to hold the waters back, 16 miles upriver? They... If they were to cross over the river, two at a time, side by side, two people, if they cross the river, two abreast, the line of people would be over 800 miles long. It would have taken them over a month for all of them to cross the river, two by two. Just two people and in in rows of twos all the way back, it would have taken them over a month. With a break in the river only three miles long, three miles, that's it, three miles, you can get nearly 5,000 people standing side by side at a time to cross the river, and that would have taken about a day. 10,000 people side by side, it would take about a half of day. But if you can line them up 15,000 people side by side, which is what you could do with 16 miles of of riverbed, if you could line them up 15,000 side by side, 3 million people could cross in just a matter of hours, just a few hours. So God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, he opens up the Jordan River up up to 16 miles so that they can get across the river quickly in only a matter of a few hours. And and the priests, sure enough, they step foot in the river. God holds the river back. They're carrying the ark. They stop halfway. Everyone just continues to to continue walking around them. And and then the priests crossed over and the waters roll back into place. And, and then God instructs them to do something that, that is, is, sounds a little strange to us, but, but you have to remember what, what's happening. God tells them, he says, I want you to go and, and get a rock from the Jordan, for, one for each tribe. I want you to get one for each tribe, 12 tribes. Get 12 rocks, and I want you to build a monument here. And the purpose of that monument was for years and years and generations and generations to come, that is going to serve as a reminder. When you just think about it, when they're, they're traveling uh, through the desert and, and they come across this monument, children are going to ask, what is that? Why, why are those rocks piled up there? And their parents are going to be able to tell them, well, there was this time when we were entering, our people were entering the promised land. The, the river Jordan was, was flooded 
And God held the waters back for 16 miles. He held the waters back so that we could cross over in just a few hours. It's going to be a testimony of God's greatness for generations to come. And listen, God is all about remembering those things. God tells us, you, you, you don't need to get stuck in your past. He said, I'm not going to remember your past anymore. But he says, don't forget what I've done for you in your past. And time and time again, God calls us to a remembrance of what he has delivered us from. Church, we cannot forget what God has delivered us from. We need to be setting up some monuments. We need to be setting up some things in our life that are reminders of God's grace and God's goodness in our lives that continues to flow over and over and over. And so they set up this monument. As I mentioned last week, we are not certain as to whether or not the Jews celebrated Passover for the next 39 years. We know at the one-year anniversary of the Passover, they're in the wilderness. We, we know according to our, our verses last week, our text told us that at the one-year anniversary, God commanded them to celebrate Passover there. But nothing is mentioned over the next 39 years, and we're only left to assume that this is the third Passover celebration. And so whether it is or not, it, it really doesn't matter. But, but at this third recorded Passover celebration, you have to think there have been many new years that have come and gone in the wilderness. Now we're operating on their calendar, the calendar that God set up 40 years earlier. And, and there's been 39, 39 new years that, that, that have, have come and gone, and, and they're still wandering in the wilderness. They have not yet made it into the promised land. But, but God, in this moment now, it, he has led them across the Jordan River, and now they're standing in the promised land. Yeah, it's, it's just the beginning steps. They've just crossed the threshold, but it, it feels like a new season. Something is different. Something's stirring. It's a new season in this moment, and they are standing now celebrating the new year in the promised land, and this is an exciting time for them. They were finally going into the promised land, and, and there's so many details of that that they are looking forward to, and after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they'll now see the promise of God fulfilled in their lives. This was a new year. It, it had new possibilities, and, and, and it had a, a, a new season was on the horizon for them, but church have you ever been in that place where, where everything in, in life is going good? Everything is good. I mean, you, you know, it, it feels like life is on track. It feels like all the pieces are falling into place. There, 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 there's just uh, this, this feeling like this is it. I have finally, finally reached this place where life is working for me. But yet there's that one thing. That one thing that just won't leave you alone. It's just, it's just lingering. It's just, it's just sitting there and it's a hindrance to you moving into that new season. Have you ever been there? When we first moved to, to Newberry to plant this church, everything lined up in our lives. The timing of everything was, was just perfect for what God wanted to do. I, I, I don't have time to go into it, but through a fleece that I laid out before the Lord, we, we were in the right building. It wasn't much to, to look at, but, but I knew that's where God wanted us to, to start the church. No doubt in my mind, I, I had a, a guarantee from heaven. That's where God wanted us. So we, we were in a building. People were, were showing up. I had no idea why, but, but people were coming. And, and the finances were good. As a matter of fact, for our first year uh, through partnerships outside of this church, I, I knew that my family could survive for one year. And so things were going good. Things were going good. We, we weren't rich by any means, but, but those finances spread out over that year. I knew that we would survive. If the church didn't, we would. 
And so things were going good with us. Uh, we had people showing up. The church was growing. We had a place to live. We had food on the table. But there was this one problem. One problem. Our house in Tampa had not sold. And it was a major dilemma in our lives. The church didn't know. The church, uh, they, had, they had no clue about this. But just a month after we moved here, the bottom starts falling out of the economy. And the next thing you know, the, the housing market is shot. Offers that we were getting before we left Tampa were no longer on the table. And we're stuck with a mortgage. And, and Mandy and I, we drained our entire savings trying to keep that house afloat so it would not go into foreclosure. And I can't tell you how many times I had conversations with God. And I'm like, God, you've, you've done so much. My, my children adjusted to a new school system, and, and they were thriving. They were doing better than we were. All of my prayers had been answered, but God, why is this one thing lingering? This one thing, what is the deal with this, God? Why? Why have you brought us all this way, and that yet there's this, this one thing that, that we cannot move past, one thing that, that, that keeps hindering us, and, and it, it was frustrating to say the least. In our text today, we find the Israelites in a very similar situation. Life is good. They're in the promised land, and they've heard their whole lives about this. Understand, some of them have been born in the wilderness over that 40-year span. Some of them have been born in the wilderness, and, and they're probably asking, where are we going? We just keep walking in circles. We've been here before. Where are we going? And they, their parents keep telling them, well, there's a promised land. There's a, the God, Yahweh, has promised us a land. We're, we're going to that land. But what God is about to ask of them is disturbing, to say the least. And I need you to sit up straight. I need you to buckle up because this is not going to be easy to hear. I have, I, when I was a youth pastor for nine years, I never taught from these verses, from these scriptures, and you're about to know why. It's disturbing, but here we go. Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to start with verses 2 through 9. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. This is the day that I pray all the middle school boys stay home. Or we'll never make it through this. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Heir Olaf, which by the way translated means hill of foreskins. I, it's disturbing. This is one of the most disturbing scriptures in, in all of the Bible. But it's to be expected. Because if there's three million plus there, and let's just say half, you know, 1.5 million to 2 million are males. A hill of foreskins is to be expected. Verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Okay, now here's the reason, and, and, and you need to get this. Listen to it. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had, had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers 
to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. I've never said circumcised so many times in my life. <laughs> Circumcision goes all the way back to Abraham, 680 years before God tells Joshua to circ uh, circumcise the nation a second time. And listen, when he says circumcise the nation a second time, it doesn't mean that, that men are getting circumcised twice. That's not, that's impossible. What it means is exactly what the text told us is that their parents, a generation before them, had been circumcised, but the ones born in the wilderness, this new generation, the generation that was leading them into the promised land, um, they, they had not been. And so it was important to God, we'll get there in a moment, but it was important to God that they be circumcised before them. But 680 years earlier, circumcision is first mentioned because in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abram, who would later become Abraham, the father of nations. And, and God promised to give a promised land. He guarantees a promised land to Abram's offspring, to Abraham's offspring. And he tells him, from the Nile River in Egypt, all the way to the great river Euphrates, which is, is now in modern day Iraq, he says, all of that land will be yours. Now, it's important to note, I don't have time to, to, to talk about this for very long, but, but it's important to note that Israel never laid proper claim to all of the land that God promised them. Israel has always settled for less. And there are enemies of Israel who ultimately are enemies of God. Let me put it that way, okay? That are constantly fighting for the land that Israel was promised. I don't, I don't want to get political with you. I don't want to get into all that. But I'm letting you know Israel has never laid claim to all of the land that God promised them. But God's promises are yes and amen. And I can guarantee you one day Israel will have all the land that God guaranteed them. Okay? I, I, don't, I don't want to debate that. You can send your email somewhere else. Okay? But, but I'm just letting you know that. No extra charge for any of that information. God promised Abram that he would make him exceedingly fruitful and that nations would come from him. This covenant that God made with Abram, it would carry over into the Hebrew race, to the Hebrew nation, the Israelites, the Jews. They would possess the same promise, the same covenant that God made with Abraham. They would carry that same covenant with them. But listen, God asked Abram to do something for him to establish the covenant. God said, listen, I'm going to do these things for you. I'm preparing a land for you, a promised land. I'm going to give you this land. But in return, here's what I want you to do to establish this covenant with me. Because it takes two to enter a covenant. And he said, I want you to do this for me. Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 11. We'll come back to Joshua 5 in just a moment. Genesis 17, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so God says, this is the sign of the covenant 
between us. I'm doing my part. This is the part that I want you to do. Now, church, Jewish law would, would later say that a baby should be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. That's, that's how Jewish law taught it. That eight, eight days after, after birth, then they would be circumcised. The baby boy would be circumcised. And, and the rabbis have, have a theory about that. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily spell this out, but the rabbis have a theory that before a baby goes through, a baby boy goes through something so traumatic and so painful that he would have seven days to bond with his mother, to bond with his father before he goes through something so traumatic. Because if you do it right after they're born, then the first thing that they know is a traumatic experience. Now, you and I know that baby boys don't remember that. It's just something that, that they get over. It's, it's not etched into their memories. They move beyond it. Eight days after they are born, Jewish law said that they would be circumcised. Abraham was 99 years old when God required him to enter into covenant with him and to be circumcised. 99 years old. Can you imagine what Abraham was thinking? God, are you sure? You sure you have the right address? Me? 99 years, I'm just an old man. Why, why are you messing with me like this? And I don't want to get into all the details of all this because there's some of you in the room, you're going to have some explaining to do with your children that you brought into big church with you, and I don't know why. But, but nevertheless, it's, it's your problem. You'll deal with it. But, but just think about it. Just think about it. Think about this. He's 99 years old, and God wants to give him the promise that he's going to have a son, and from there, he would become the father of nations. So he's going to have offspring. But he's 99 years old without one. And God says, I, I'm going I'm to cut away the flesh that is not productive. It's not needed in order for me to make you the father of nations. Now just, just tuck that away. Just, just deal with that for a little while because I, I, just, I just want you to, to, to know what, what Abraham had to deal with. Now, before some of you men run out of the room and do something stupid today, in the New Testament, Paul cleared up this matter and said that there is no need for Gentiles to physically practice this, but that's not the point at all, Okay. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant to God. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Cutting away of the flesh was a sign of covenant to God. The point is this, that anytime we want to get to the next level in our relationship with God, it's always going to cost you something. It will be painful. It will hurt in the moment. Anytime you want to move beyond where you're at in this status quo moment, if you want to move beyond where you are at with God, I can tell you it is always going to cost you something. And it is not easy circumcising the fleshly desires out of our hearts. It's not easy because within me right now, I have flesh warring against the spirit. And you are foolish if you don't think that you have the same battle. Every single one of us, we've got this war between the flesh and the spirit. We want to please God. We want to walk in his statutes. We want to do his will. We want to follow his commands. We want to please him. 
We want to operate in faith because faith is what pleases God. And so we want to live here. We want to operate in the spirit. But what we have is we have the flesh that keeps rising up. And the flesh keeps us from walking in the ways of God. It keeps us from walking in his statutes. It keeps us from keeping his commands. And, and we're constantly warring between the flesh and the spirit. Let me go back to verse 8 of Joshua chapter 5. Because I think this is important for where some of you are at right now. It says in, in verse 8, When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Now I know from you know, just standing at a distance looking at this, you're going, like, yeah, they did. Those men don't want to do anything. Grown men. They're just going to sit in their, in their tent and just, you know, woe is me. You know, Because men, we're weak. Women are so much more, they, they tolerate pain a whole lot better than we do. Women, where are you? I thought you'd say amen right there. Yeah. I've got everybody in the room uncomfortable right now. Right? You should try preaching it. They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. When you're staring at your promise, your promised land is right in front of you. What you feel like God has given you. When you're staring at your promise, one of the toughest things to do is to wait on God and hurt in the process. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. You see the promotion. It looks like you're the best qualified. You certainly have seniority. You see the promise. It's right there. But for some reason, God just will not give it to you. It's there, you can see it, and you live in this constant fear that somebody else is going to get your promotion. Or, or maybe the biological clock is ticking. And you're waiting on Mr. Right. And the problem is you're settling for Mr. Right now. And that's a problem. Because God's called you to wait on a godly man or a godly woman. That's, what he's, that's, that, that's his desire. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Scripture tells us that we should not be unequally yoked. And so we need in our lives, we need a companion that is spiritually going in the same direction that we are. Seeking God. Fearing the Lord Almighty and praising the name of Jesus. That's what we need. But because time is running out and we're watching her get married and him get married and everybody else, and it feels like all the good ones are taken. You know who I'm talking about. You know, you know, it, it just feels that way. It, it feels like all the good ones are taken and, Lord, you know, it's, and, and we end up settling and, and we walk into the promise before we're ready to walk into the promise because the promise is really a nightmare when it comes to that. It's like someone else will, will live out my promise. God, you're going to give it to somebody else. Do you really think that that's how God operates? Listen, God is not bound by your biological clock. God is not bound by who gets the promotion and who doesn't. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. At the right moment, God is going to open the door and you will be able to proceed into your promised land. But don't expedite the process, church. If we're not careful, we'll get so ahead of God because our flesh begs to be fulfilled and we'll pursue the promise too soon if we're not careful. 
In 2004, I found myself in in, in a very similar place. I was ready for a change in ministry. I knew that God was finished with me in in, in the role that I, I was at at the church in Tampa. I knew that. I knew it. I knew God wanted me to plant a church. But the right doors were not opening. There were some doors that were opening, but they were not of God. The right doors were not opening. And I knew that, that, that God had not yet prepared it, but I was watching uh, 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 pastor friends go out and, 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 and be voted in to take, you know, uh, take the leadership of a church, or, or, or maybe I was watching them go out and plant churches, and, and it, was, it was just discouraging for me, church, so discouraging. But, but what I came to realize was that during that time, God was preparing me to be the leader that I am today because Rocky had a lot of pride and Rocky had a lot of arrogance. And God was going to have to surgically remove those things from my life. A, a spiritual surgery was, had to take place within me. There was flesh within me that God had to take out of me in order for me to be the leader that I am today. And let me tell you, that, that surgical process has not stopped because God is still working on me. He's still working on me. He has, he's not finished with me yet. Everything that happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament... It's a foreshadow of our walk with Christ in the New Testament. Some of them are, are things that we, we should be doing. They're steps of the righteous. And other times, we, we see things in the Old Testament that they did wrong, and they're warnings to us so that we don't get that wrong in our walk with Christ. But in the New Testament, Paul was writing to the church in Colossae in, in Colossians 2 and 11, and, and here's, here's what Paul said. He said, when you came to Christ... You were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. That flesh warring against the spirit. Is it possible, church? Stay with me. Listen to me. Somebody, somebody's going to find this today. Is it possible That the Israelites had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, and God would not allow them to enter into their promised land because their hearts of flesh became so hardened that they would not allow the Spirit of God to cut away the flesh of their hearts. And they were operating constantly in bitterness and anger, malice, constantly They were murmuring against Moses and Aaron and sometimes even against God. Always longing to go back to slavery. We would have been better off dying in Egypt than wandering in this this wilderness because God was not going to allow that generation to see the promised land because they would not allow the Spirit of God to do a work in their hearts. But there was a new generation following behind them. And that new generation, though they were raised by those people, they had a different outlook on life because, you see, they never knew slavery. They never knew it, and, and they for certain didn't want to go to it. And so they were holding on to a hope. They were holding on to a possibility. They were holding on that possibly someday within our lifetime we might get to see the promised land. Before you can walk into your promise... You first have to walk in covenant obedience to the Lord. Before you can walk in and start taking over the land that God has given you, before you can walk in and start taking over the promises that God has given you, 
Maybe in this season of waiting right now, maybe God just wants to cut away at some of the flesh that is warring against your spirit. You see, their first has to be a consecration. A setting aside. A come to Jesus moment. A holy moment. You first have to go through consecration before you can move in and conquer. Before you can take hold of your promise, you first have to go through that consecration. And that's what God was doing with this new generation. He was putting them through a a moment of consecration because he was getting them ready. Because he did not want their parents and the things of the past echoing in their hearts and minds because he knew that they needed to trust in him. If they walk into that new promised land that, that, that they are not ready for. These were were not men of war. They were not ready for this in the flesh. But if they walk into that promised land and they think that they can take those enemies, if they think that they, within their own capabilities, within their own power, if they think within their own flesh that they can win that, they are going to be destroyed. But if God can get them to trust in him, if he can tear away the flesh and let them walk in the spirit and the power of his might, if he can just get them there, if he can get that mindset in them, then they can walk into that promised land and they can defeat every enemy that has inhabited that promised land since God gave it to Abram. If he can just get them to think in the spirit and put their faith in God and forget about the ways of the flesh and that's why God calls them to this moment of consecration. Yes, it is one of the most craziest metaphors that we could probably ever create in our minds, but God said I want you to consecrate them because there needs to be a cutting away of the flesh so that they can trust me. Consecration is what sets up the blessings of fulfilled promises. And just because you're on the men, just because God's doing a work in you, and he's cutting out the flesh side of you so that your spirit can prevail, just because you're on the men does not mean that God is not working it out. You see, while all those men were recovering in their tents, God had a a private meeting with Joshua. And he said, Joshua, I'm going to give you the plan because the first city that you're going to come to is a a city called Jericho. You've sent spies there. You know what this place looks like. It is fortified. There are walls all the way around this city. And God said, I'm going to give you a plan on how to take that city. Because your pain in the process, Israel, is going to give you power for the promise. And while they're healing, God was downloading this information to Joshua. He said, you're going to march around the walls one time each, each day for the first six days. March around it one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to march around those walls seven times. Listen, we did this here in this facility before we moved in. We met here. We did a Jericho march for six days. We walked around this property one time. And on the seventh day, we walked around this building seven, seven times on that seventh day. And, and God said on that seventh day, on that seventh trip around, he said, I want you to shout. I want you to blow the trumpets. And when they did that, the walls of that city came crumbling down. Why? Because the power of God fought for them. That's how they're going to conquer this land. But you will not do it under your own ability. If you walk in with your swords drawn, if you walk in and and you start trying to conquer that land under your own ability, under your own flesh, you are going to fail. But if you will trust in the Lord, 
and the power of his might, you'll prevail. God was preparing their hearts for this season of promise. But church, what happens next is one of the most significant rewards of God's promise. And I'm afraid so many times we read these scriptures and we don't even realize what it means. I want to help you realize it today. Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. This, this, this is powerful. Please get this. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and the evening on the plains of Jericho. Here it is. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. It's going right over your head. Don't miss it. Verse 12. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Do, do you realize the significance of this? Church, listen to this. The manna ceased for 40 years. They have been eating frosted flakes falling from heaven every day. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like frosted flakes. And as much as I love a good bowl of cereal, I don't want the same cereal every day for 40 years. And, and, and as a matter of fact, it was, it was manna from heaven and quail. Frosted flakes and, and nuggets. For 40 years. Who wants to eat that for 40 years? It might satisfy you the first time and it might be sustenance for you it, it, it might it might help you live but nobody wants to be stuck eating the same two things for 40 years nobody and in these verses right here the bible says that the manna ceased for 40 years they were eating the same exact thing do you know how tired they were of this manna yeah it kept them alive for the journey but they had heard for decades what the promised land had to offer. Some of you, you've been holding on to promises for decades. For others in the room, you've been holding on for months and for weeks and some of you for days. But it feels like an eternity. You have been waiting. You've been holding on to a promise. You, you know what it, what it could look like, but, 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 but you're just not quite there yet. And you've been holding on to that. But they were promised that this was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. They were told that it had grapes, that it had pomegranates, that it had wheat. That they, they had a hope for what it was gonna look like. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter eight and, and verses seven through nine. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity and in which you will lack nothing. You hear that? Nothing. You will not lack anything at all. And it's in this moment, in these recorded verses, that we finally get to see the promise fulfilled in their lives. Forty years of wandering and wondering. What is it going to look like? What's the promised land going to be like? 680 years in the making since God promised it to their father Abraham. 680 years. And now... The manna stops. 
and they get to eat of the fruit of the promised land, it truly was a happy new year for them. They found their new home, and there was food on the table. A new year church doesn't just present new possibilities. It presents promises. And there's a big difference between the two. Possibilities are, well, that could happen. That might happen. What if? That's what possibilities look like. And listen, possibilities can keep you going for a little while. You can hold on to hope for a little while with possibilities. But there's a big difference between the possibility and a promise. Because when the promise is made, it is yes and amen. If God said, I'm going to do this, if God said, I'm going to lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey, then you rest assured God is going to lead you into that land. If God said, I'm going to bring your husband home, then you know this. Know the promise of God and stand on the promise of God. I'm going to bring your husband home. If God says, I'm going to heal your marriage, you stand on the promise that God is going to heal your marriage. If God says, I'm going to break that addiction, then you stand on the promise that God is going to break the addiction. And maybe, maybe the reason you just haven't walked into that promise just yet maybe maybe God just wants to cut away a little bit of flesh that might hinder the promise a little bit of doubt God wants to do a spiritual surgery on us so that we can walk into this promise and too many of us we're just living to survive that's what they did for 40 years they were just living to survive Living in the promise means you won't just survive, but you'll thrive. Once they got to the promised land, the sky was the limit for them. Because God was there with them, fighting for them. God doesn't want to just sustain you. He doesn't want to just get you through it. God wants to satisfy you. You hear me? Hear me, wherever you're at in life right now, know this. God wants to satisfy you because the scripture says that he wants to give you the desires of your heart. But first, you have to delight yourself in the Lord. And when you delight yourself in the Lord for him to give you the desires of your heart, you're going to allow him over here to cut away the flesh that has no business. It, 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 it doesn't have any purpose in your spiritual walk except to hinder you. And you'll say yes to God here. And God says, okay, I'm done just sustaining you. Now I will satisfy you. It doesn't mean that the new year won't have its share of challenges. It certainly will. There were fortified cities with tall walls in the promised land that would have to be conquered. There were dishonest people that chose to disobey the word of the Lord, the second city that they tried to take, they got their rear ends kicked. And it was all because of one man disobeying the word of the Lord. And when they figured all that out, then they were back into receiving the promises of God. You see, receiving the promises of God, it's all about trusting him. It's faith in him. That God, you're walking into this promised land with me and you're gonna fight these battles for me. There were some days that the fight was so hard, so tough, that Joshua knew we cannot let the sun go down. Now, that's, that's crazy, right? 
like the sun's going to stop. And Joshua knew if, if we let the sun go down on this moment, and he prayed to God, he said, God, in order for your people to win this war, to win this battle, I need the sun to stand still. And it's the only time in recorded history that the sun stood still, and science and mathematics will prove it to you. It happened. It's not always easy in the promised land. It's not always easy in the new year. There were kings and countries that teamed up together to come against Israel. But man, in the promised land, they had God fighting for them. If you want to have your best year ever, start walking into your promise knowing that God is completely capable and that he's fighting for you. When you can walk with that kind of faith, I can promise you that the circumcision of your heart and the flesh that hinders everything that God wants to do in your life, it has been completely torn out. And now God can do what God wants to do in and through your life. The next year is going to have its challenges. Don't worry about that. Because it's all orchestrated by the champion. He's got it. If you want to have the best year ever, know that your God has never lost a battle. And he never will. Why would he start now? Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.